This is going to be the beginning of a teaching series that's entitled, Follow Jesus. Here at City Church, kind of the mission statement that drives us behind the scenes, you'll be hearing more and more about this, is follow Jesus and serve others. Follow Jesus and serve others. And I couldn't think of a better way to kind of move through Easter and beyond Easter than for us to focus as a church family on what it looks like to follow Jesus. You know, it's interesting to note, and you'll hear this and I'll be teaching on this throughout the next several weeks, is that Jesus never approached anyone and said, you have to believe these five things. Jesus approached people, and what he said to them was, follow me, follow me. And so as a church family, that is the epicenter of who we are. We are followers of Jesus. And the other part of that is to serve others. But again, I just felt led that for the next several weeks, we're going to take a journey together on what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, as we begin to step into this, what I want to do is sort of focus on two things that we looked at with Easter last week. There were two things. There were two announcements or two statements that kind of became the focal point of our Easter celebration service. And they are this. He is risen, just as he said, and an announcement that Peter made. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can we put up those two phrases? The first one, he is risen, just as he said. And the second one was the announcement of the apostle Peter, where Peter, through the revelation of God, announced to Jesus that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Those two phrases were the two things that drove us through our Easter celebration. This past week, I was reading the writings of someone that I really follow. His name is N.T. Wright. He was the Bishop of Durham. He's actually involved with the Anglican priesthood in Europe. He's a brilliant theologian. And I was reading some of the things that he wrote following Easter. Here's what he said. Pastors, I challenge you. Don't let Easter disappear. Keep Easter as the center of what you do. And so as someone that I enjoy reading and that it informs me as a follower of Jesus, I thought, you know what? N.T. Wright is right. Can you imagine having the last name Wright? How could you ever be wrong? Heart wig doesn't engender a ton of that, does it? It's kind of like, wow, weird combination and people move on. His name is N.T. Wright. Can you imagine if your initials were N.T., New Testament, and then your last name is Wright? How could you ever be wrong about anything if N.T. or your initials and Wright? But that challenge was something that struck my heart. And so as we talk about being followers of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus, I thought, let's begin by remembering those two statements that Jesus announced. Actually, Jesus 
I'm sorry, didn't the angel announced one and the apostle Peter announced the other, but both of them were focused on Jesus. Both of these announcements transformed the Christian faith. The first one, he is risen, just as he said. Let's do what we did last week. I will say, he is risen, and you will announce just as he said. Are you ready? He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Thank you. Then the other one was this. You are the Christ, the Son, of the living God. Now I'm going to get 12 people to help me up front. If you don't want to come up front, say no thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six. John has a something on his leg. John, I'll leave you down there. Seven. Now, Daniel, you've been up here already. Uh, Alicia, come on up. Eight. Nine. Barb said no. Come on up here. Mark, you can come up. You're married. You can stand in for her. Jess, and uh, come on up here, Ben. How many do we have up here? I want you to stand right here in the light. Go ahead and stand in the light. Come on over here and join us. How many do we have? What's, what's the total? No, you can't sit. You have, I'm only kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah, go on over there. Go ahead and move over here. How many do we have up here? Somebody help me. That's 11. We need one more. Ty Smith, come on up here, buddy. Everyone say good morning, Ty. That's it. Come on up here. And uh, can you imagine this? Jesus Christ was with his disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi. There were 12 of them. Imagine this. And where Peter announced, you are the Christ, you are the, the son of the living God, there were 12 disciples. I know we have women up here. Just go with me. Amen. You're the cheering section this morning, aren't you? Way to go. But there were 12 people. And when Jesus was there on this little dirt road that was kind of up and above Caesarea Philippi that led to the mouth of a cave where a stream was gushing out, that cave was known as the Gate of Hades. And in Greek mythological thought, the people believed that that cave is where demons came out of and invaded the natural world. Not only that, if you looked at the cave, and we talked about this last week, if you looked at that cave, you would notice to this day on the cliffs that surround that cave, there are kind of hewn out spots where idols were placed all over that cave because this was a spiritual, religious place. Most of those hewn out spots were the Greek god Pan. The idol was placed there, and people came and gave sacrifices and gave worship to the Greek god Pan. If you were to turn around from that cave, you would look over the city of Caesarea Philippi. It was named after two Roman leaders, Philip and Caesar, and both of them had reached the level in the, Roman, the mind of the Roman people that they were now divinity. Not only in that space, you would have seen 14 temples in the city and around the city of Caesarea Philippi that were dedicated to the idol called Baal. This road, this spot, this cave was kind of the epicenter of all of religious life. And it was there, right there, where Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? 
And then he focuses in on the question and says, oh, no, no, no. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, who had the best name of all of the disciples, spoke up. And he announced to Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. And you are the son of the living God. You see, all the other gods that we're mentioning had sons. They had offspring. But Peter, in a moment, realized that Jesus was the son of the living God. That this God is not dead. This God is not an idol. This God can transform your world. And he says to Jesus, you're the son of the living God. And there were 12 of them. Look at this right here, 12 people. And Jesus says to them the following. After Peter announced that he was the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus brought up a topic he had never mentioned before. Here's what it is. The church. It was not until someone had identified him as the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God, and once someone recognized him as that, it was almost like he had been waiting. It was pent up inside of him. And at that moment, Jesus announces the church. He had not mentioned it before. In that moment, he mentions the church. And here's what he said. And the gates of Hades will never overcome it. In other words, the church will dominate all of this religious stuff you see. All of it. Now let me tell you a question. If you had seen a group like this there, and there are probably tons of pilgrims in that area, little groups moving around. If you'd have seen a group like this, could you ever have imagined that these 12 people along with Jesus, would transform the world. There's no possible way. It would, you'd never, and if you heard him say it, you would have sat there and said, look at these 12 people. Look at them. And you'd go, really, buddy? You're going to dominate the world? You're starting a church, an ecclesia, a group of called out people, and that group of called out people will actually dominate the Roman Empire? No one would have believed. No one could have believed. And yet Jesus, once he was announced as the Christ, the Son of the living God, turned to those 12 people and he said, listen to me and hear me well. What we're getting ready to do is literally going to overcome the world. Let me put it to you this way. No one names their children Caesar. They name their dogs Caesar. You understand the point? Do you get where I'm coming from? Caesar's gone. People don't remember. And yet Jesus makes this announcement that's absolutely incredible. That the 12 of us, the 13 of us, are going to overcome. And the gates of Hades, everything that's built around this spring coming out of the side of the mountain, it's going to disappear, it's going to evaporate, but what we're starting right here, right now, will transform the world. Twelve of them. No one would have believed it. Let's give them a hand. You can be seated. Thank you. I wanted us to have a visual of the announcement that Jesus made. Twelve people 
And he makes this bold announcement. You guys will come up later. Sorry, you can go ahead and be seated. It's going to it's, it's get really long if you sit there from here on out. But those 12 people, one of them betrayed Jesus. The other 11 stuck with him. And what he said came true. Isn't that incredible? You imagine being there. I wish I could be a fly on the wall when that announcement was made. The Bible doesn't really say how the disciples respond other than you have to imagine they thought, really? You're kidding. We can't even get along, let alone conquer the world. That Jesus makes this announcement. As we think about that announcement, what it drew me to was the other announcements that Scripture makes. Before we deal with those, and one of them, the primary one, will be follow me, I want you to think about your life. Have you ever had announcements made to you that transformed you or transformed your life? I put down a couple that come to mind. Some of you sitting here might be in high school, or maybe you're at UVA or another university, and it's that season where you get invited to a formal. Someone walks up to you and says, will you go with me to this formal? And you think, wow, and it transforms things. In high school, I asked a girl to go to prom with me. She said no. That transformed my self-image, my future. Everything I thought about myself was crushed. Then I asked someone else, and she said yes. The second one was better than the first one on all fronts, believe me. But there are other announcements that are made. You know, will you go to a formal with me or will you go to the prom with me? That's one thing, but there was a phrase in my life that I spoke to Fran. Will you marry me? It was an announcement. It changed so much of who I was when she said yes. I asked her twice. It's not recommended. The first time I asked her, we dated for about 18 months. We had our first, we've never fought. We had our first disagreement. It's a true story. She handed me the ring back. And she said, I don't know if this is going to work. I was crushed. So I took back the ring, and we were apart for any certain number of days. It was probably about 30, 35 days. And then she called. She had come to her senses. <laughs> And she said, I just can't live without you. I said, I know. Just kidding. <laughs> I was so proud of her. She had the guts to call me. I didn't have the guts to call her. And then we dated for another two years. We worked on stuff. Stuff that was between us. We worked on it and worked through it. And at the end of that time, I asked her again, will you marry me? This time she kept the ring. But there are announcements that are made that transform us. 
For some of the students in and around Charlottesville, college acceptances went out this past week. Some hearts were crushed. Other people got that announcement from the school of their dreams that said, you're welcome to come here, you've been accepted. There are students at UVA who are fourth years. You've been on job interviews. You've been just biting your nails, wondering. Because you know how important this is. Here's why it's important. Not that you have a job, it's just something you can say to people when they ask you. What are you going to do next? I know, somebody just groaned over here. Believe me, I understand. But man, when you go on a series of interviews and then someone calls you up and says, you've got the job. What you recognize is your future is going to be changed. Those announcements, hey, come to the prom with me, that's a little one. But a big one would be, will you marry me? I remember another one. Fran announced to me, I'm pregnant. I went, wow, it's amazing. What was even more important, though, is when the doctor announced, it's a boy. I said to Fran, we have an heir to the throne. You see, those announcements impact us. But even more than the announcements that were made, that we've talked about, he is risen, just as he said. That's huge. The announcement that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, what we really have to do is go back to the beginning. And the announcement that was made by Jesus, and we find it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. We're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. The text will be up on the screen. I'll read it out loud if you'll read it along with me. Here's what Scripture says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. That always makes me laugh. What else would they have been? If they were standing by the seashore throwing nets, what would you think they were? Carpenters? You know, car mechanics? What would enter your head? You would think they're fishermen. But I think this is the point. The point is, is that what happens next happens to fishermen, not young men from the rabbinical schools of Jerusalem. They're fishermen. And the Bible tells us that Jesus walks along the lake and he sees this set of brothers. In verse 19, he makes an announcement. Come. What are the next two words? Follow me. Follow me. Not believe X, Y, and Z, but follow me. Come and see. And he says to these two brothers, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. You know, there are some strong opinions about why these four men were willing to follow Jesus. One of them is very accurate, and it's this. That in Jewish culture, if you were called by a rabbi to follow him, it was the ultimate privilege in culture. 
It would be similar if you're a college student and you're applying to universities that you get into that premier school that your family admires. If you were called to be a disciple of a rabbi where a rabbi would come to a young man and say, follow me, it was the ultimate dream of every parent for their son. But you see, these men were fishermen. They weren't the sharpest tools in the shed because the brightest boys would have been in the rabbinical schools being trained. And from that group and the brightest and the best, the rabbis would select their disciples. But here they are fishermen. And Jesus says to them, come, follow me. And a lot of people would say, listen, the reason why they said yes was because that was really what they had always wanted to do. Now the opportunity avails itself, so they step in and say yes, and they follow Jesus. Other people may say, they said yes, because several times when you read about these disciples, when they're fishing, they've caught nothing. (laughs) They're terrible fishermen. So why not go try and do something else? But what I'll tell you is, that's not how it would have worked in Jewish culture. If your father was a fisherman, you were a fisherman. If your dad was a carpenter, you were a carpenter. There was no mystery about what you were going to do with your life. And yet when Jesus says to them, come follow me, four of them do. Why? Here's what I believe. It was Jesus. There was something about him that when he asks you to follow, you do. It's different than any other rabbi that walked the shores of the Galilee. He was different. There was something about him that when he says to a person, follow me, that call follows them. And Jesus announced it to those disciples. Follow me. And they did. I thought about a time in my life where I was following someone else. I remember a time where my son and I were on a trip together when he was 11 or 12. We were in Colorado. I was there. I was part of this theological consortium, and there were a group of pastors, some educators, some denominational people from all different denominations. We were together. We had been on a journey for a couple of years, writing and discussing some topics Well, one of those events took place at George Fox University, and one of the pastors that was in the cohort with me said, listen, if you and your son would ever like to come out to Colorado and fly fish, he said, I would love to be your guide. I will guide you for free. When he said free, I said, that's God's will. (laughs) And so it just worked out that that conference was taking place out there, and so with that, we decided we would go out there, and when we did, there's a, uh, a river called the Gunnison River, and there's a canyon called the Black River Canyon. It's the ultimate trout water out west. And I asked him, can you get us there? He said, sure. We are so excited. The issue was you had to backpack in. That's why it's not fished much. So we backpack in together. My son was small. The backpack was as big as him. We were moving in, and this guy named Charles was the guy that led us. And he was in front of us, and he was, we were going along the ridge of a mountain. And he said, all right, here's where we turn. And he went down into this rock slide. We started walking, and it got steeper and steeper and steeper. And all of a sudden, I looked, and Chuck was laying down, and he was grabbing the rock. 
Now, I'm no rock climber, but that doesn't look good. And yet I was following him. And my son was about five feet in front of me, and he stopped. And he said, Dad, I can't do this. And his legs began to shake, and no joke, it was probably about 2,000 feet dropped to the bottom of that ravine. And all I could think of was, Fran will kill me. (laughs) So I grabbed my son, and I said, Charles, I don't think we can do this. And my son and I, we climbed up that rock slide, and we finally got out, and we sat down, and literally, I looked at my son. I didn't even have to say anything to him, but it was this, don't ever tell your mother ever what we just did like never ever never had to say a word you ever look at your boy and he just goes yep and you go yep and you know what you mean and we sat there and Chuck said oh man this wasn't the right turn look when you follow someone and they invite you to follow them the hope is they know where they're going I mean that would be kind of the minimum requirement to say to someone follow me Chuck didn't know where he was going. So we waited, and he went down to the ranger station. He said, guys, we turned to the right. You're supposed to turn to the left. And I'm thinking to myself, Chuck, that's pretty important to know which way off this precipice we're supposed to go. But when the guy guides you for free, you think two thoughts. Don't complain, and you get what you pay for. But Jesus said, follow me. And these disciples did. And it was radical. They left their dad. They left their nets. And they followed him. And here's what I've learned about follow Jesus. Here's what I've learned. It begins with those two words. Follow me. It's when a man or a woman, young or old, begins to hear about who Jesus is, and then suddenly he shows up and says to them, follow me. And for most of us, when that call comes, we think, how unlikely. That's why these are fishermen. They're not young men from the rabbinical schools. They they are just very simply fishermen. And Jesus approaches them and says, follow me. But here's what I've learned in my life. That follow me is not a one-time thing. Follow me is something that happens throughout this thing that we call the Christian life. I've learned in my life that follow me can be filled with doubt. It can be filled with fear. And yet there's still this voice of Jesus saying, follow me. Here's another thing that I have learned. That follow me informs all other announcements that are made from that moment on. That follow me informs all of her and other announcements. Because as a follower of Jesus, when I asked Fran, will you marry me? Being a follower of Jesus informs that. Where I go to work and how I work on the job is informed by follow me. Follow me informs how I talk about other people. Follow me informs where I go, what I do, how I do it, and why I do it. And for some of us, this series called Follow Me is going to be a new look at what it means to be a Christian. Because ultimately, that phrase, follow me, is the lens through which we look at every other announcement in our lives. Every other announcement. 
So where I go to college, what I do there, what job I take, how I am on the job, who I marry, why I marry, how I treat them when I'm married, is all subterraneally affected by follow me. Follow me. And what I know is, some of us sitting here, God blessed you and put you in the right institution, meaning school. God has blessed you and put you in the right job. God has blessed you and put you with that right other person. God has blessed you. He's opened doors for you. But when you walk through the door, you forgot the phrase, follow me. You walk through it. And that new announcement trumps the follow me. Here's what I know. It's incredible to see what God can do with a person or a group of people who put follow me first. Where that announcement overruns and supersedes all other announcements. And what I've learned about these people is you can't always tell it. They don't walk around with shirts that say, I follow Jesus. They don't always put bumper stickers on their cars. But they are an incredible group of people who take follow me as a serious thing. And as they do, that affects and infects everything about them. I'm going to ask that Ben and Jess would come on up here and join me now. This is Ben and Jess. Everyone say, hi, Ben and Jess. The reason why I've asked them to join me is because these two people have taken seriously that phrase, follow Jesus. You can go ahead and sit over there. Here you go, Ben. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to talk to them about what it means for them to follow Jesus. Again, this story will be different for almost every one of us. What it will look like for you to follow Jesus and for me to follow Jesus and for the Lewises to follow Jesus can look very differently. But what I do believe that as Christ followers, we have to be able to look at our lives and say, because I follow Jesus, this is what I'm doing or how I'm doing it or what I'm thinking about or how I'm moving through it. So Ben and Jess are friends of mine. We've been getting together for a period of, well, quite a while now. And as we've, I've gotten to know them, I thought that it would be neat to hear a little bit of their story about what Jesus saying to them, follow me, looks like for them. So, Ben and Jess, what I'd like for you to do is just, first of all, tell how you guys met. Jess, why don't you share that? Because the it's men always get it wrong. So go it's ahead, Jess, if you could share how you and Ben met. Go ahead. I would love to share that. This is one of my favorite stories. So I asked Ben out in college. It's not entirely true, but yeah. <laughs> he can't listen to this without interjecting. You'll see. Ben, um, uh, hold on, Ben. This isn't a hill worth dying on, so not, just let not. it go. <laughs> just breathe, Ben, breathe. Uh, so we went to college at Lee University, which is in Tennessee, uh, near Chattanooga. We actually met in Spanish class uh, our sophomore year. I sat behind him and I had a middle school girl crush on him. <laughs> My best friend sat next to me and we literally wrote notes about him, like made up a nickname, everything. What was uh, the nickname? No, I'm no, not no, going to no, share no. that. That's really embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, remember, follow Jesus. Don't say that. Y'all don't know us well here. enough yet. 
Um, anyway, so we had different groups of friends. We would see each other on campus, you know, but senior year, um, we went to the same church, the same college ministry, and one weekend my mom came in town and visited, and I pointed him out. I was like, isn't he so cute? My mom's like, you should ask him out. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I knew he was kind of shyer, and so I was like, I don't know if he's going to approach me, but we had a mutual friend who told us both that we were interested in one another, so I was like, if I ask him, he's going to say yes. So I went up to him after church one day, and I was like, hey, Ben, do you want to hang out sometime? And he was like, yeah, I do, and the rest is history. Good deal. Good deal. Ben, just leave the story That's alone. Well no, told. no, don't do it. <laughs> just leave it there, man. So the two of you meet in Spanish class, and then uh, you graduate from Lee. And so, Ben, what happened next after you graduated from Lee? Kind of give us in about a minute the, uh, the story. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so I was a biology pre-med major at Lee and had planned on, um, well, going into medical school uh, straight out of uh, undergrad and really around the, I don't know, February of my senior year, I had started interviewing for medical schools, uh, uh, entrance in the fall and really felt overwhelmed and not ready to um, study for the rest of my life and never have a break again. And so I was really burnt out and decided to uh, basically put my those career plans on hold and told myself that I wasn't going to go to medical school, maybe ever. And so that uh, kind of led the way for, Jess then took, decided to do a 14-month master's degree at Lee, and so I stuck around, and uh, a year later we got married after she finished up. Um, so after getting married, um, there's a large series of Did you of ask events. her to marry you, or did she I ask did ask her, her to marry right, me, just, yeah. All the guys wanted to know, right? You were it was a wondering. surprise. Okay, so, yeah. um, Good man. Yeah. <laughs> but with all that said, um, I had known from a young age that I was supposed to be a, well, I had known for several years that I was supposed to be a doctor. But the, um, those four years of my life that I took off before I ultimately went to medical school were really a series of... I made a series of decisions that um, led me to basically putting God's knocking on the door, his call to follow him in my life. I, I put that on hold deliberately, even though I perpetually felt the Holy Spirit just knocking, 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 and knocking, telling me to go to medical school because the last thing I wanted to do uh, was really be a doctor. Um, and so that's what happened. And then ultimately we went to medical school at the University of Tennessee in Memphis because I felt the Holy Spirit continuing to knock on that door of my heart and um, decided to go to residency and the Lord did that here at U. It facilitated the way for me to be in residency here at UVA. Good deal. All right, so Jess, anything you want to add to his story? Do you need to correct anything or was that pretty? It was, it was very accurate. He it did was a great very job. Accurate. Good deal. How many guys, seriously, though, when you think about your relationship and you talk about it, your, your wife goes, no, it's not even close. How many of you have ever experienced? Yeah, exactly. All right, good. So then let's talk now, Jess, very quickly about, so you're here at UVA, you're in medical school, and then what does God begin to do in your hearts as far as follow me? Could you share a little bit about that? Sure. So I would say for both of us, um, Ben grew up in a Christian home. I did not. So he started to follow Jesus at a really young age. I was 16 um, when I met when I met Jesus, and 
Um, when we were both teenagers, we felt Jesus calling us to overseas missions. And um, when we met in Spanish class, we knew that that was, you know, where Jesus was calling us. Um, and what he didn't mention was right after we got married, we moved to South America and it just completely fell apart. The timing was not right at all. And a lot of it, I think, is because Jesus wanted to teach us a lot of things as a married couple and just really do a lot of things in our hearts, which he did over 10 years, um, which has brought us from newlyweds to we're celebrating our 10th anniversary in July. Um, And so we moved here, you know, with that sense of calling that, you know, Jesus wanted us in South America. It was just going to be a matter of time. And so... um, as a part of his residency, we were able to spend two months abroad. Um, he's doing like a global health track. And so we spent um, August 2014 in Cusco, Peru, and just really felt Jesus saying, follow me here. This is where I want you. And we had no idea how we were going to get there. Um, and it's kind of a long but really great story of how Jesus has opened door after door after door um, to point us in that direction. Great. So, Ben, uh, tell a little bit about what you guys are going to be doing in Cusco, Peru. If you could kind of share with the people um, what it is you'll be doing. Um, So, I didn't mention I'm a pediatrics resident, and I'll be finishing residency in June. And so, I will be a pediatrician at an outpatient clinic called uh, Clinica La Fuente um, that does pretty much exclusively outpatient medicine. I'll be serving there as one of the, probably the full-time pediatrician. Uh, with the current pediatrician assuming more of an administrative position within the clinic st- uh, structure. And so the clinic serves um, a very underserved uh, population uh, in, uh, just outside of Cusco. Um, and so I'll be, yeah, basically I'll be serving that population as a form of ministry of like, social justice ministry towards the poor in, in, in Peru. Uh, another ma- major, major piece of our ministry will be um, med- medical student ministry of both evangelism and discipleship. And so uh, that's a very key piece of what we're going to be doing there in trying to um, not just serve, serve the underserved through medicine, but then also um, help to basically raise up young Peruvian doctors in the gospel and then have them then learn to process their life and their career based in the gospel and then hopefully transform not only Cusco but their entire country through medical ministry. So can you imagine you're a pediatrician graduating from the University of Virginia and then God calls you to go to Cusco, Peru. I don't have to tell you that the economic benefit of making that move is very counterintuitive. But one of the reasons I asked Ben and Jess to come up today is that actually tomorrow they leave for Cusco, Peru. They'll be there next week. Yep. And they're going to be there for a brief period of time. They're going to come back and they're going to upload to us again what's going to be going on there at the clinic. We have a dream, uh, myself and the Lewises, that we'd be able to take some teams from City Church to go there on missions trips and to help them reach the people of Cusco, Peru. But I think most of us sitting here would clearly understand sort of the sacrifice that Christ is calling them to. I remember the first time they came to me to talk about it, I said, well, is your medical school paid for? And they laughed. They said, no, we have loads of debt. I said, well, how are you going to pay that off and go work with the poor 
And they just essentially said, Jesus will take care of that. We feel called to go and to serve these underserved people. And so from my understanding is this, once they move there later on this year, they're going to be there for the rest of their lives. That God has called them to put down roots in Cusco, Peru, and to serve at least there for a good chunk of time. I think when people follow Jesus like this, the rest of us who are called to follow Jesus need to get behind them. How many of you believe that? Do you believe that that's true? We're called to get behind them, to pray for them, to encourage them, to follow sort of their journey together, to financially support them so that they can fulfill the call of God that God has put on them. I'll put it to you this way. You would not want me to be a pediatrician, pediatrician in Cusco. Once you get past pacifiers, I'm done. I, I don't do diapers well. I mean, it all just falls apart. But God has uniquely selected them to exit medical school and to go there and to serve him as long as he would have them be there. You would also notice that they have two small children. And I will tell you, when missionaries exit the comfort of the U.S. and head over to countries like this, they don't do that lightly because you're exposing your children to whatever it is God's calling you to do and be when you go there. And so I want to encourage all of us to pray for them. You guys will be hearing more from Ben and Jess. But I asked them to come forward this morning as an example. Not everyone will have a vocational call like they do. But what I will tell you is every one of us has a call to follow Jesus and a, and a call from God to figure out what that looks like. Can you stand with me as we move towards closing? We're going to conclude now by praying for Ben and Jess. The worship team's going to come back. They're going to lead us in a season of worship. But as we pray for Ben and Jess, in a very unselfish way, I'm going to ask that you would put your life on these two chairs. As we pray for them, that God will guide them as he's called them to follow Jesus the way they are. What about you and what about me? I believe in this room there are people just like Ben and Jess, where you heard Jesus years ago say, follow me. Similarly to their testimony, they kind of ran for several years. They tried to move away from the call of God. I believe that this morning, some of us are going to stop. We're going to let Jesus catch up to us. And we're going to begin to walk in the calling that he has put in our lives when he said to us, follow me. Can we pray for Ben and Jess? But as we do that, I want to encourage you that your heart and that your ears would be open to the Holy Spirit. That maybe it's the Holy Spirit coming and recapturing you or putting a follow me in a unique way in your heart and your life as we pray. Let's do that together. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the Lewis family. I pray that as they follow you and they step into what your calling is for their lives, that you would bless them and keep them. Lord, I thank you that in following you, you call them towards us as a brother and a sister, that they are literally part of our family. And in that, we acknowledge their call, we affirm and confirm their call. And as they go to serve you in Cusco, Peru, I pray that you would go with them and that you would bless them. God, in the midst of following you, I pray that you would meet them in unique ways. 
But Lord, as we pray this blessing over them, we also pray in openness over our own hearts and lives. That the call to follow you would be something that we all would participate in. That all of us would surrender to that call. Jesus, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the announcement to follow me. Lord, in this, we surrender our hearts. We surrender our lives. And Jesus, we trust you that as we do this, that our lives will be incredibly, incredibly fulfilled and purposeful and blessed. Thank you, Jesus, for Ben and for Jess and their children. Be with them in unique ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to remain standing for worship, but Ben and Jess, we're excited to hear the report from when you guys get back. We're waiting with anticipation. Amen? Amen? We're waiting to hear what God would speak to them and through them upon their return. God bless you guys. You can be seated. Let's give them a hand as they're seated. Let's worship together just for a moment. Let's worship. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. I will follow you. Sing, all your ways are good. All your ways are good, all your ways are sure. I will trust in you alone, higher than my sight, high above my life. I will trust in you alone, in you alone. So where you go? your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you're at with your journey of faith. 
But my prayer is over my own life and all of us in this auditorium that our hearts would be open to Jesus saying to us, follow me, follow me. God, allow our hearts to be open, not just in this moment, not just inside these four walls, but on grounds at UVA, on the job this week, in our homes, wherever we're at, just as you walk by the fishermen, by the sea, that you would meet us throughout this week. We would hear your voice saying to us, follow me. As you continue with your eyes closed but hearts open, we're going to conclude with a season of prayer up front. Some of us have physical needs, relational needs. And in this moment, the prayer team is going to begin to come forward. They'll be positioned off to the sides as you come forward to have prayer in your life. They'll come forward and meet with you. They'll just simply ask you what your need is. But I want to encourage you, don't exit if you have a burden in your heart or life without prayer. The other thing I would just like to share simply is this, is that we've had sort of some illnesses hit, some people that are involved with teardown. Some other people are away on vacation. And the people that oversee our teardown time have sort of informed me that we're quite short this morning. So if you'd be able to stay after just for a little bit, we have teams that will direct you in the right direction. If you're willing to do that, you can exit the auditorium, move towards your right. There's some black curtains, move inside of those. And there's people that will simply direct you to the right place. It'll take about 20 to 30 minutes to help us tear down. So I encourage you to do that if you're still available. Maybe you hear Jesus saying, follow me right now to go and to help with that. But I want to encourage you, if you have prayer, please stay. If you know that you need to worship God in the midst and the context of what he's doing this morning, please feel free to stay and to do that. If you would like to exit, please exit quietly. And as you do, if you can help us to tear down, please do that as well. God bless you. Let's sing this powerful worship song as people come forward for prayer or you exit quietly. But let's do so with worship in our hearts. And remember this, Jesus calls us to follow him. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Who you love, I love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Yeah, I'll follow you. Cause in you there's life. Everlasting in you, there's freedom for my soul. In you, there's joy, unending joy. In you, there's life everlasting. In you, there's freedom for my soul. I will follow you. 
devotion, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus and our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus and our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of Jesus and our affection, our devotion poured out on the feet of
Oh, 